This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf and welcome to my podcast, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess. In today's podcast, I talk to Josh Harris, a former pastor and author of the now unpublished book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye on how he has dramatically changed his philosophy around purity culture, and we discuss a healthier way of talking about sex and safety. We talk about the neuroscience of guilt and shame, and how to deal with losing one's tribe and the trauma that goes along with this. Josh gives tips on how to embrace growth and change in your life as a positive aspect of being human. But before we begin, I just want to remind you that these podcasts are for educational purposes and are not medical advice. If you need medical advice, please contact the appropriate medical professional. And I am so excited to finally announce that we are going to be back in person for my end of year mental health retreat in Dallas, Texas, 2nd through 5th. This year's conference is all about helping you manage your mental health and clean up the post-COVID mental mess. I'll be doing sessions on trauma recovery, healing anxiety, unwiring toxic habits, and more. Plus, we will have amazing guest speakers, VIP workshops, swag bags, and so much more. And we will be offering CMEs and CEUs. Early bird tickets are now on sale until July 30th, so don't wait. Get your tickets now at drleafconference.com. The link will be in the show notes. Back to today's podcast. Josh, I'm so pleased to be interviewing you today. I'm a great admirer. I've been following you for a long time. I, I admire the journey that you've gone through and I honor you. And I'm really, really thrilled to have you on my podcast today. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much. I've been looking forward to this. It's going to be a fantastically important conversation. So just before we begin, I've, my listeners and viewers have heard a little of your ba- background. Mm. But do you mind just sharing a little bit about who you are and what you do and, and just what's been going on in your life? Right. <laughs> a lot. Well, a lot. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm I'm sort of best known for writing about dating and courtship when I was a young man. And so I wrote a book called I Kissed Dating Goodbye when I was 21 years old. And it went on to be read by a lot of people, influence a lot of people. And now 20 plus years later, I have gone through some very significant changes, which is not uncommon. You know, you hit midlife and you start to realize that certain ways of thinking and living don't work out quite the way you thought. But my ideas as a 21-year-old influenced a lot of people. And so I've been in a kind of a season of trying to go back and admit places that I realized that my ideas were wrong and have conversations with people who tried to live up to these high standards that my book put out and really were hurt by that. And so I've been in a massive season of change and rethinking and and kind of unlearning things, which is really hard and really difficult, but it's been a really important journey for me. So I was a pastor for 17 years. Now I do different work. I, I work in communications and marketing and that whole world. But really the most important thing that's happening in my life is 
learning how to grow and change and learn who you are when you, when you realize you got some things wrong. One of the greatest things I admire about you is the fact that you have, have laid a kind of pathway for people to recognize and look back and say, hey, at that point, mm-hmm. I was at that stage of my life because of X, Y, and Z. And you lay that out so beautifully in your how you were brought up and mm-hmm. why you thought that way and what happened. And, and then you look now at this stage and you can look back and say, hey, that was wrong. And the impact has been X, Y, and Z. And, and you make it okay for people to accept mm-hmm. that you can have a wrong philosophy and you can change. And as a parent of four and you're a parent as well, you kind of look back and you say to yourself, why did I do those things? Why did I think that? Why did I tell my right. kids that? And you can feel terrible about it or yeah. you can take that feeling terrible and you can turn it into what lessons mm. can I learn and how do I move forward? Now, that's how I see what you've done. You've laid mm. a foundation not only to release people from the purity culture, which we're going to dive into today, but you also teach another very important lesson. And that is it's okay to go back and see the mistakes and mm. grow. We need to change and it's good to mm-hmm. change. And it's also good to go and see the impact of how we did think and try and fix it as far as possible. Right. And that's a really admirable thing. So I wanted to just, you know, honor you for that. Thank you so much. You know, it's it's a scary thing to do though, because when you open that door to consider that you got some things wrong, you have to deal with regret and you can't always just easily fix that, right? You can't make it better. You can't make the person that you hurt feel better about things. So it's a, it's a scary process for, I think, all of us. It is. So how have you handled that process? How have you learned the lessons and dealt with the regret? What have you you've done? We'll start with a big picture, and then we can kind of go into the detail, however you want to. No, well, you know, I mean, sometimes people I talk to will say, oh, you're so courageous, or how did you come to see these things? And I don't really feel courageous because the truth is, is that me waking up to see areas that I had been legalistic, where I had taught things that were controlling to other people and harmful, it really took massive failure in my own life to begin to question. In other words, when everything's going great, when you know you feel like you're on top of the world, you don't second guess yourself. You don't question things. And so it really took things falling apart in different ways for me to kind of let go of that identity of being, you know, the author who had all the answers about dating and relationships, the pastor who, you know, could stand up and teach thousands of people, the husband who had the great marriage. And so you should listen to him when he talks about relationships, all those kinds of things. Like I had to fail in those different areas in order to say, maybe I don't have all the answers. Maybe I need to listen to other perspectives. And honestly, that listening to other people's stories that were different than mine, and in many ways began to show me, you know, began to mirror my own story, help me to see things that I, I hadn't seen before. So the pain of failure is something we often want to run away from. But for me, really, it was a door to, to change and to, to growth. That's amazing. So failure being a door to change and growth, and then listening to others. It's mm. almost like you went from hearing to listening and listening to other people's perspectives, which opened your eyes to even agree to disagree, but to see the other perspective. And that's so vitally important in, in being a human. It is. It is. And it's just so easy to, to only listen to yourself or only listen to people in your tribe, you know, who are reinforcing what you believe. Confirmation right? bias. <laughs> it's exactly right. But it cuts you off from so much of humanity 
And it also cuts you off from parts of yourself. Like there are, there are things about yourself that maybe you've never even been willing to admit. And until you open your heart to other people who might look or sound or, you know, come from a different background than you, it's only then that you can start to, to accept different parts of yourself. Oh, that's so true. And that's so good. That's so important that we, you know, take, take that failure and turn it around to accept those different parts of ourselves. And mm. there's such a thing of trying to show perfectionism. You know, I'm sure you're aware of this. Only 4% of the church talks about mental health and only 3% mm. of leadership across the board. And that's not just religious environment. It's government, social, educational, whatever, corporate, talk about how they really feel. And these changes, because, you know, changes. And yeah. you've always got to have this face that we, if you're in, in some kind of leadership position, which just as a human, you've got to kind of hide our imperfections. Meanwhile, that's not what it's about, is it? It's about growing and experimenting and learning. That's really true. You know, sometimes I think people who are in religion, and I have such a, a love and gratefulness for the church and the role that that plays in the world, but sometimes you can feel this pressure that I need to show everyone around me how wonderful God is, which means I need to be happy all the time. I need to put on, like you said, this face of perfection. And, you know, the reality of human experience is that we, we deal with difficulty and challenge and setbacks and depression and mental health issues and all these things. And, and I didn't have those categories for years as a pastor. I, I was even afraid to, to talk about and think about emotions because I really was in a, in a setting where the only category was sin, repenting of sin, and now, you know, being holy. And there was no category for, for struggle, for anger, for all these different emotions that are a natural part of being human. Your mental health is and should be a priority. I learned this from my friend, Dr. Daniel Amen, who is a renowned psychiatrist, neuroscientist, and founder of Amen Clinics. The Amen Clinics are unique because they use a comprehensive and holistic approach, including brain spect imaging, to treat mental health issues. I visited an Amen Clinic and seen Dr. Amen in action, and I was able to see for myself how brain scans show that many mental health conditions, such as ADD, anxiety, and depression, are often not caused by just one thing. That's why giving everyone the same treatment will never work. So you can get a treatment plan that's targeted to your needs. I love that the doctors at Amen Clinics use natural therapies wherever possible. To find out how you can change your brain and change your life, visit amenclinics.com forward slash Dr. Leaf. If you book, you'll get 10% off an evaluation when you use the promo code DrLeaf10 at checkout. The link and offer details will also be in the show notes. Sometimes I find it extremely hard and stressful to ensure I'm getting all the nutrition my brain and body needs to function at an optimal level. And far too often I find supplements and powders ridiculously overpriced. That's why I love the all-in-one single scoop formula from Athletic Greens. Mac and I take it to support our gut health, immune systems, improve our energy and mental clarity. The daily beverage provides 75 highly absorbable vitamins, minerals and whole food source ingredients. The formula gives you a daily multivitamin, probiotic, prebiotic, green blend and adaptogens like ashwagandha and rhodiola. Used to address stress and anxiety all without the need to take any pills or multiple products. If you want to simplify your routine, reduce the stress of taking multiple things and drink something that actually tastes good, then adding Athletic Greens is worth a try. They are offering my readers an incredible immune-supporting bundle with a year's supply of vitamin D and 5 travel packs free with your subscription today. 
Simply visit athleticgreens.com forward slash leaf and join health experts, athletes and health conscious go-getters around the world who make a daily commitment to their health every day. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com forward slash leaf and get your free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs today. The link and details will be in the show notes. I love how you've said that because that's a huge part of what I teach. The huge part of the narrative of mental health that I teach is depression and anxiety is 100% of people experience it. If you're human and alive, mm. you're going to feel depression and anxiety. It's not a mental illness. It's you being a person in life and life is messy. And right. it's all part of our free will and it's all part of experimenting and being on the front line of life. And we've got to manage that process. And, it's, mm. and it's, it requires so much ability to change. You know, this is why it's so important what you, your, you know, your message. Okay, so we've talked quite broadly. Now, let's get a little bit more specific because, mm. as you said, you're very well known for your teaching on purity culture. And right. that's how people know you, Josh Harris, purity culture. And I know that it's been, you've made a massive turnaround. And I mean, I was so impressed. You said things like you withdrew your book from, from publication. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's like was a hard decision to make. I mean, it's a source mm-hmm. of a great source of income. And you had right. such an impression on, I go to, I teach in churches around the world. And mm. your name has come up in a lot of those churches on the purity culture. And, and it's not my area. I don't really talk about that. Mm-hmm. So, but your name has come up and you, that's why you're so brave. It's so, it is brave and courageous, but more than being brave and courageous, you've actually had the ability to look at something in your life, listen to the lessons and look at the impact and change. So mm. do you mind delving into that in a little bit more detail and maybe tell us about your background, how you grew up as a homeschool child and sure. you know, your dad was the big Quite a famous guy and how that set, it set the platform, the context, and that was where you were coming from. So you don't have to beat yourself up because that's where you were coming from. Mm. But you grew and saw the change. Well, I did grow up in a very strong, conservative Christian family, and we were homeschooled. So my, my father and mother were were really radical in a, in a beautiful way, you know, wanting to do things differently, wanting their kids to have something different than they had. They were children of the sixties, you know, they, they had experienced things. And and then they, when they became Christians, they wanted their kids to have a completely different experience. So homeschooling was a way to pull us out of the world, which is impossible, but out of the public but school system. But there's a lot of that kind of speak in the religious school get out of the world. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. And so my dad was a very well-known homeschool teacher and leader. He traveled around the world, and particularly in the States, teaching hundreds of thousands of families on homeschooling and, and raising kids. And I was sort of his, you know, first illustration of here's my son, Josh, and look, you know, look at how well he's turning out. And, you know, I didn't know anything different than that. So that was completely normal to me, but I really followed him into public speaking. I began to publish a magazine for homeschool teenagers. And so before social media, before really the internet was a big thing, I had a pretty significant platform of connection to all these other people my age. And the, the t- ideas around you know, dating and courtship, what, what is now called purity culture, we didn't have that term back then. We were just, we were just trying to make sense of, well, if we're, we're not supposed to have sex, if that's the big thing that we're to avoid, then... How, how should we live our lives? How do we avoid those temptations? You know, everyone in the world, quote unquote, is getting into trouble. Even in the church, you know, normal Christians, you know, they're having sex before marriage because they're dating. And so there was this reaction and my book was kind of putting into a more popular, youthful presentation, these, these radical ideas about 
Don't even date. Don't even kiss before marriage. Stay away from you know intimate relationships before you're ready for marriage. Be really committed to growing as a Christian, having friendships, but stay away from playing all these different games. And those ideas then in my book spilled out into the broader Christian culture. And there was a lot of frustration. I mean, I think there's always frustration with dating, honestly. <laughs> yes, it's not an easy thing to navigate. It's not an easy thing to navigate. And, and here's the thing I think I see about myself as I look back. I wanted certainty and safety. I wanted someone to tell me, here's what you need to do. And if you do these things, then everything will turn out fine. You'll have a wonderful marriage. You'll have an incredible sex life. These, these areas of your life that you're nervous about and anxious about, just follow these rules and you'll be safe. And that's really what my book put into words and promised other people. And people bought into it. I believed it. I believed it with all my heart. But it didn't really reflect reality. I don't even think it truly reflected the teaching of the Bible. I think it took things further and further than even scripture teaches in an attempt to be really safe. And that's, I think, what led to, well, that's what led to so many problems because you, when you add to the Bible, you're adding rules and regulations, and then you are, you're, you think that God is promising you something, which he actually never promises. That's so good. You kind of redefine what it looks like and put God in a box and take it from your perspective and with a single perspective, which is just not realistic because God is, God, I talk about Godness, it's multidimensional. It's just like, mm. how do you define? you know, that kind of hugeness, right, you know, and it's, right. yeah. And so maybe I think as, as you say, rules and regulations are us trying to make sense and feel safe. I like mm -hmm. how you say that. Well, you know, I, if I can take advantage of the chance that I get to talk to you, I just would love to ask you the question because I am coming from such a background of thinking in very black and white ways. Like there's a right way, there's a wrong way. And now as I'm trying to, to grow and live a more, you know, open life, I, it's so hard to change those patterns, you know? And I think even sometimes with religion, I think that I can kind of have this, I, I just can't deal with any of it because it's either completely right or completely wrong. And I know that that's not the kind of flexible way of, of thinking and viewing life that I want to have, but I don't always know how to break out of that. That's such a great conversation to have. And just from a from a brain science perspective, and and my, I'm also very mm. spiritual, and I've gone through kind of very rigid Catholic upbringing, and then went into the very kind of fundamentalist sort of evangelical thing mm. for a period of time, and now I think I'm a lot more balanced, mm. and that's been major changes. And right. so, and it does take time. I mean, you've really got like it's. I had certain ways of thinking that you're talking about, and it's it's w w what it is is that as you experience something, everything you experience becomes wired into your brain. But you experience mm. through your mind because your mind's not your brain. So to answer your question is that mm. your mind is your aliveness. It's 99% of who you are. It's your spirit and soul. And mm. your mind is the, at the front line. And your mind is how you experience life. Like we're talking now, it's an experience. And that, that mind then touches, get, connects with the physical, which is the brain and body. So the brain and body do nothing if you're dead. But when you're alive, there's a connection that occurs. So the mind uses the brain to actually then convert the experience into a physical substance, which is a thought. And I always wow. use my little analogies, which are thought trees. So that's what they literally <laughs> look like. They literally look like this in the brain. But wow. the interesting thing, Josh, is it's not just in the brain. It's also in the mind. And the mind is all around us, like a cloud around us. It's all these gravitational fields and electromagnetic 
principles and, and how we think, feel, choose. It's got all the different psychological and physics principles to it. And it's, but it's not there when you're dead. It goes, you know, and, and thoughts mm. have got weight. They actually carry mm. weight. So when you have a toxic thought, my toxic tree is over there, but it carry, these things carry weight. So when someone's mm. al- alive and, and, you know, when someone dies, it actually changes and shifts. So when we have a certain pattern, now there's a time thing involved. We often hear that it takes 21 days to build a habit, but it's mm. not 21 days. It takes 21 days to deconstruct and, con- and reconstruct something or to build something that it becomes long-term memory. But mm. then it's tiny and you've got trillions of thoughts because all day long you're building thoughts. So right. if you think of it from the time at a certain point in the womb to the age you're at today, you have trillions of trees in your forest. Some wow. are looking healthy, some are toxic. And they're all competing for your attention. So the ones that you think about the most have the most energy and will, interf- in, will impact behavior change. So something that you've grown up with, if you've had years mm. and years and years of growing up with certain imprints, uh, certain experiences, information, that's wired into your brain, hardcore. Right. And the, the, the roots would be the actual source. So this is the information. This is the interpretation, the, br- mm. the branch part. Mm. Okay, so then here, so we build thoughts. Every experience becomes a thought, and here is the toxic thought. So there's the toxic mm, version. Right. So essentially, we are not getting, you know, like if, if, there's, if there's conflict, if you are telling someone, hey, that's not the right thing, but there's no mm. love there, and you're pushing someone out of your inner mm. circle, you become an outcast. I mean, you've experienced that. One of the questions I wanted to ask you was that, I mean, you, from the, you came out against purity culture. You experienced a lot of criticism, and many of the people that used to call you their friend distanced themselves from you. You mm. know, how, I wanted to talk about that. Now, yeah. that, what you saw initially as this, mm-hmm. you started seeing this kind of impact. Exactly, and that opened your eyes. And wherever, wherever there is love missing, and love missing means love is survival. Love is our made in God's image. We wired for love. We actually see that neurophysiologically. We're not mm. wired for toxicity. This is seen mm. like a virus in the brain. So mm. anything that works against love and anything, so if you're telling someone you're bad and evil because mm. of in that very na- black and white thinking, mm-hmm. which causes wars, which causes dissension, which causes arguments amongst bodies of people in the same church, when there's, yeah. that, when there's that kind of dissension, when this is the way, then we are operating out of love. And when mm. people are being hurt, we, being oper- mm. and we have to question those ideals. But they've been so established over time mm-hmm. that, as I said, it takes 21 days to build, to take one of these and deconstruct it into a healthy one. Or mm. it takes 21 days to build a long-term healthy or long-term. But it takes 63 days to turn them into a habit. So that's nine weeks. Wow. So now let's say you're growing up as a child and you're immersed in this culture for 18 years. By the time you're 21, you've had a lot of nine-week cycles for these thought patterns to become totally established. And if it's very fundamentalist, your upbringing, like I grew up in the Catholic church, you don't have sex before marriage. It's evil. You're going to hell. And then the evangelical church, fundamentalist church said the same thing. Meanwhile, 95% of the day, it's on people's minds, men and women. (laughs) Sex is we are driven and not because we porn addicts, but because we are naturally driven towards love and it's a natural expression. And if it's a problem in a marriage, it's 95% of the problem. But if it's not a problem, it just kind of happens. And, you know, but we don't talk about those. So I also grew up with that kind of thing. You can't have sex before marriage and it's, you know, you've got all mm-hmm. these. But I just saw that going, I, for me, that just was, I didn't agree with it. It didn't make sense. It didn't, if you're in love with someone, you're in love with someone. And so anyway, so, the, the, but I had to deal with that sort of guilt and condemnation mm-hmm. around that. But it was years of established patterns. So it took me time. So if you think of it, if it takes nine weeks to change a pattern, if you've had something in Growing up for 21 years and you, you know, you kind of hit your peak right. at 21 when you wrote your book. I mean, it's really young to be published, but you're mm. picked up by 
a publisher, you, your message resonated mm-hmm. and you had to break that. So yes, it's going to take, but fortunately it won't take 21, day, 21 years for you to, it's, six, <laughs> it's cycles of 63 days. So mm. you'll find yourself saying, okay, that impact. And from, from me listening to you, and please correct me here, but from the interviews I've listened and the things that you say on your mm. social media, it's people telling you things that you've responded to. So you've heard about the impact of your message. Yeah. And people have told you, and you've had this hugeness in you to listen to the impact. That takes that. You didn't defend. You didn't run away. You didn't hide. Mm. You didn't justify. You listened. And you, you actually opened your mind to look, okay, well, that was what I was thinking. I thought right. it was this. Right. Look at the impact. This goes counter to how I understand God to be God of love. Or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm just assuming. I'm just giving yeah. you a general broad thing. No, that's so helpful. So you started listening. So you've now been unwiring and recognizing what you thought was this was this. So it's going to take cycles of, of 63 days to actually pull these up, deconstruct and reconstruct. And that's mm-hmm. what you're going through. That's what we all go through when we change. We mm-hmm. have to identify the impact, and it's the impact that makes us wake up. That's the breaking down when we see mm-hmm. marriages breaking down, when we see potential breakdown in relationships, when we see things that impact us. Those are the signals and the cues that, hey, I need to become a thought detective. What was wrong with my thinking? Right. And that, you know, then you go and you look at the signals, which is the relational breakdown, and you start tracking back to the root cause. Mm. And you recognize, okay, this was toxic, but it was couched in this because your dad and mom thought this was the right thing. This is what you thought was right. the right thing. Right. And then we see God is not a black and white God because God, look at diversity in nature, mm. in life. And that's always been something that I've battled to reconcile with is how can you say this is the right way? This is the only way when you look at the diversity of culture, belief systems, mm. and everything points towards this one common element among humanity, and that's love. You know, mm-hmm. and that's fine in so many ways. So the, that does that on, sort of answer your oh, question with a little amazing. bit of… Well, it's so helpful because it helps me to not feel so overwhelmed, you know, or think I'm doing something wrong when in on one level I say, okay, this is how I think now, but there's still those root systems there that I have to <laughs> kind of work out, you know? And I feel like I sort of, you know, in a very drastic, dramatic way came and, and realized I had this whole forest of toxicity and and yet at the same time wanting to be able to find where there where there was goodness where there was beauty not just like burn the whole forest down that, but that work of finding what's toxic and unhealthy and rooting that out you know it's a it's a longer process than i think i'd like it to be i'd like it to be just instantaneous i know, you know? we would wouldn't we and it's not yeah. going to be that's the whole thing with mind issues and that's the beauty of it and that's what life is really like you know if you mm. think of the the concept of jesus in the garden that's a model for mental health. It's a model for change. It's a model for growth. It's painful. It's mm. hard. It gets worse. It gets worse. We need the support. And then mm-hmm. eventually, you know, you've got your story reconceptualized. Mm. And if you look at this, what you've been doing, if you look at this tree, if you look deeply inside the tree and for the viewers and listeners, I mean, for the listeners, I'm holding up a little green tree. There's mm. light parts and there's dark parts. The light parts are how you used to believe. The dark parts are how you reconceptualized it. Wow. You're looking at that concept differently. No longer mm-hmm. is it just trying to be black and white, X, Y, but you've actually created a Z factor, which is X plus Y equals Z. You've conceptualized, you're looking at it differently and you're reconciling the two views mm. and seeing, hey, we've got to look differently. And that process is, it's the rest of your life because you've got your whole entire upbringing has been around a one sort of focus. Mm-hmm. And that's what I mean. I've been doing the same thing. I've been unpacking a very, very strict upbringing with mm-hmm. a, bringing up four kids with a philosophy of think, ask questions. And my mm. own kids have been one of my main prompts for me changing. 
because wow. they've said, hey, mom, you know, this is what you believe. Is this really right? Is mm. this really love? They've made me question some of my deepest beliefs. Mm. And that's taken time to change. But the freedom, the pain and the freedom, it's worth it. It's mm. that, you know, that realization. Yeah, but it does take time. And that's, it's a lifetime. It's a lifetime of journey. Oh, it's, a, it's, it's beautiful. And it's also, it's also hope giving to me. It's so, so, so helpful. Well, I want to encourage you because you are helping people. And just the mere fact that you now pulled your book out of publication, let's talk about that. And mm. let's talk about that. And let link, let's link that to the outcast situation that happened. Because I saw your post when you first posted. And mm-hmm. I mean, you, you handled everything with such, so much grace. But it was hard. Now, mm-hmm. let's talk about that because people are very often scared of these major changes that mm-hmm. push you out of your tribe. And, you know, right. it's... Well, the, it kind of came in phases for me. The first phase was reevaluating my book. And I, I didn't know where that reevaluation process was going to land. There was a, a lot of me that wanted to hold on to it because it was a big part of my identity. It was a source of income. You know, I'm thinking, how am I going to send my kids to college? And here's, you know, if I, I have to, I, I can't let go of this. And it's, it's what makes me, you know, it's what makes me special. I wrote this book. I'm a best-selling author. How can I, how can I kill the thing that is like so close to who I am? And so getting to that place of saying, I am not just this book. I can let go of these ideas. And I reached a point where I just realized, you know what, on balance, these you know, this book and my other books included really taught things and emphasized things that I just couldn't stand by anymore. And so the decision to unpublish was a, was a big deal. And then behind the scenes, you know, my, my marriage was changing. My wife and I made the decision to, to get a divorce. And that was sort of like, you know, a a big nail in the coffin, you know, here, here was the, this statement of, you know, these ideas didn't, guarantee a perfect, you know, forever marriage for, for the author. And so when that took place, the realization that, you know what, I've changed, I'm, I'm not trying to justify this according to the teaching of the Bible. I recognize that this is not allowed to get a divorce in this way. That led to me being honest about the fact that I was shifting in regards to faith, that I, I I wasn't even sure that I could say I was a Christian in the same way, which which I don't, I think in some ways might be that kind of black and white, you know, thinking at work. But for me, it was a way to say, I can't be controlled any longer by the, the sort of rules and approach of this tribe. I'm stepping out of it. I, I need to kind of rediscover everything. And that announcement really led to, you know, a lot of backlash. Understandably, a lot of people really disappointed a lot of people that I really love and respect, you know, saddened and, and then also just anger. Some people just so angry and saying things like, well, you were never really a Christian to begin with. You're this terrible apostate. You were faking it this whole time, which that's probably the most hurtful thing because I really believe with everything that I was, <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. And I was, and I was trying to continue to be authentic. And I think for me, I have such a respect for the Christian faith that I, for me, it can't just be a cultural trapping. It can't just be something that I pretend for the sake of being included in a community. If I don't, if I'm not able to say, I believe it completely, I, I just didn't feel comfortable with that, but it's been a, it's been a hard road to, to walk. 
Oh, that's not easy at all, especially when you, as you say, you the, the, the nasty comments come. It's very hard not to mm. feel very broken by them, but you still manage to respond with a lot of grace because I saw a lot of your responses, which I thought were, you know, that's really great. And we're never going to please everyone with our mm. choices. And But you said something so key there that you couldn't live with what you deep down inside knew was truth. And mm. that's something I wanted to just for a moment talk about because I always teach this, talking about these forest things. We've got yeah. this, you know, we can talk about it in so many different ways, made in God's image and wired for love. Neurobiologically, we talk about there's no systems in the brain and the body for toxicity. We, we designed to have messes and manage messes. We have an optimism mm. bias. We All of it points towards the fact that we have this inner wisdom. Now, our mm. discussion we're having now, we're having a very wise discussion. We're mm. tuning into that deep stuff. And all humanity has that. I mean, if we talk about the fact that we are made in this image of love, love is wise, love is accepting, love is all these mm. incredible things. So we have to always tune into that. And I mm. believe when we tune in, that's a huge part of my work is getting people to say, hey, my messy mind's very normal. It's my free will mind. It's my experiencing mind. But there is this wisdom inside of mm. me. And we all know that. Like someone will come to you for advice. Your kids will ask you something. A friend will and you give them this amazing advice, and you think, gosh, wow, I think I should take that too. That's, you know, that's <laughs> a wise mind operating, and we mm. all have that. What we don't all is develop that sufficiently. But the point I'm making here is that that's what tells us, hey, something's mm. not right here. And I remember also in my years in being a very fundamentalist, strict Christian and adhering to a lot of things that deep down, I thought, why am I doing this? Mm. And I didn't always want to listen to that wise mind. This is not a God of love. There's too many rules here. There's too many, kind of it sounds like the same questions you were asking. Yeah. And, you know, it didn't allow for the un- understanding I had. And it is, you've got to, it's only when I also made the decision to tune in with the prompts, very often mainly from my kids and things that mm. I started seeing. And that's what seems so, here's my sort of comment or open for discussion next part of our interview sort of thing is we need to listen to those messages because it sounds yeah. to me like that really prompted you to go beyond all that I need an income for my kid's college. I don't mm. want to be out of my tribe. So that mm-hmm. had more of a pull, that drawing, mm-hmm. that drawing towards that inner wisdom pulled mm. you more than the external stuff that are important. I mean, you need money mm-hmm. to put your kids through college. That's understandable. <laughs> but you weren't going to compromise with your inner wisdom from what I'm hearing you say. Well, you know, I think the the reason that we don't listen to that voice of that inner wisdom is there there is fear so often present that if I ask certain questions or if I change in certain ways, I will be pushed away from relationships. I will be cut off. I will, you know, lose my parents. I'll, I'll not be able to be a part of this church. And, and that's terrifying. And that's such a, it's a, such a sad thing that, that different communities use that kind of rejection as a, as a threat to keep people in line. But that's not that's not keeping people wholeheartedly. They're not there with their whole person, you know, genuinely authentically. And, you know, me coming out and and doing some of these things publicly, which I don't necessarily recommend for everybody. <laughs> it's not it's not Everyone's that you have got to their own journey. Yeah, it's your own journey. You don't have to announce it to the world necessarily, but in doing that, I've then benefited from so many people coming to me and sharing their stories or just reaching out to me as a kind of a safe place to say, you know what, I've had those same questions, or here's the path that I've walked. You know, I changed in these different ways and I lost, you know, my community or my parents don't speak to me anymore or whatever it might be, but there's, but they've found an inner freedom 
that's allowed them to forgive, that's allowed them to move forward. And that was, you know, just so eye-opening for me to recognize that 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 fear shouldn't be the thing that keeps us in a place. That I don't even I don't think that's even the kind of authentic faith that that you know different re- religious traditions describe. You know, to just be doing something because you're afraid of loss is not the kind of open, wholehearted, loving posture that I think real faith is about. I so agree with you. I love how you've put that. So, Josh, how would you explain your shift now? What do you? How do you see? Well, let me first ask it this way. Mm. People have come to you with these stories and I've seen how you've, and I've heard how you've said that people will tell you, well, when I read your book, this is what it did to me. And you've mm-hmm. heard that and it's made you cry sometimes and sad yeah. and, and you've tried to fix it. What mm-hmm. if, can you give an example of that? Or it doesn't have to be specific, but general, how have you dealt with that? And how did you manage to sort of repair the breach kind of thing or repair the mm-hmm. impact of what you so wholeheartedly believed in and how have you done it? What, have you, what do you tell them, those kind of people that have experienced that for, at reading your book? And Well, I think the thing that so continues to be grieving for me is I, I recognize that my apology now is insufficient in that it, it can't fix what was harmed in the past. It, it, I can't make up for those things because you know, the, the decisions we make when we're young about relationships and sex and those kinds of things, they have long-term consequences, you know, patterns of thought, as you talk about, or the person that you choose to marry and those kinds of things. But I, I feel like so often the world operates in such a way that, that nobody takes any sort of responsibility. People just sort of move on from things and say, well, that, that's, that's not my fault, or, you know, someone else needs to deal with that, or we just kind of pretend things away. And so I've hoped that by trying to take some responsibility and by engaging these conversations that would help others to realize that they can move through these things, that the past doesn't have to completely control them. I do think it's important for me to apologize and say, I'm sorry for the way it hurt you. I'm sorry for the impact of this. I, I didn't mean for that to, to happen, but I recognize that that was real. And even, you know, pulling my books is a statement of saying, I, I genuinely am and sad that this took place. The other thing that's, that's really important to me is that I, I try to highlight voices of people who are making a difference in this area. And there are so many incredible people who are, many of them women, who are speaking out on issues of purity culture, new freedom when it comes to sexuality, people who are are modeling, I think, a more healthy, just loving type of religion, you know? And, and if I can help, you know, platform them and lift up their voices, that's something that's, that's deeply meaningful to me. Josh, I love how you've answered that question. So I want you to say now, based on, because purity culture was no sex, no, no dating, like nothing before marriage, mm. just like get to know them and see, social distancing, <laughs> masks, literally. The original social distancing. <laughs> the original social distancing and masks, yeah. Is there a healthier way to talk about sex and love, especially with children? How would you, and what advice would you give to parents or guardians? And I know this, so this subject for many people is a hard thing mm. to discuss. Since there's so much toxicity, and I'm just reading my question, surrounding sex or pleasure in many different cultures. I think this is a really Mm. good thing to discuss now. Well, you know, I am grateful that my kids are a little bit older. So I feel like we've been able to have some very open conversations. I think, you know, for me personally, 
I want them to view sex as something that they are in control of, that should be pleasurable for them. It should be in the form and with the the person that they that they want. Those are the kinds of things that I'm wanting to emphasize, not fear-based, threat-based kind of, of teaching. But I recognize that there are some really challenging conversations, especially for people who are in communities of faith, to ask the question of, how do we be faithful to our tradition, but then also recognize that ways of applying that tradition can be either, you know, lean towards being healthy or lean towards being very toxic and very destructive. And honestly, you know, I come from a Christian background. I, I don't know who's doing this well, because I think that, that you, there's often either a complete ignore, you know, just ignoring the topic and just letting people be on their own. Or there's this extreme of purity culture, which is a hyper focus on the issue of sexuality, where there's a lot of guilt and a lot of shame and so on. So where there can be teaching to say, this is a natural part of being a human being, the emphasis being on the beauty of it, the emphasis being on, you know, really taking charge of that and not having it be something that is you know, being controlled by another person, the importance of consent, the importance of enjoyment, those kinds of things were not really taught in the settings that I was in. It was stay away from it, you know, shove these feelings down. And then when you're married, flip a switch and you'll find enjoyment. So I think it's actually, you know, it's mind blowing to me, but I think it's incredible that there are people, even coming from a Christian perspective, that are talking about the role of masturbation, that are talking about these kinds of topics of pleasure. I think that's really needed because as I've had so many conversations with people who are influenced by my book, they got into marriage and they just had no category to be able to view sex as pleasurable. Their bodies had not really been prepared to enjoy and receive sex in that way. And, and that I think is a big missing piece to the conversation in religious communities. They're not taking ownership, even if people don't have sex before marriage and they get married, they're not talking about what's actually happening within marriage. And I think that there are a lot of different sexual dysfunctions that are taking place that, you know, the church is not taking any kind of responsibility for. Oh, that's a brilliant answer. And I cannot agree with you more. You know, I do so much work across the board in different environments, churches, education, neuroscience conferences. And let me tell you, in every, literally every church I go to, where there's an opportunity, at least someone in leadership mm. and very it's mainly the woman will come to me and ask me about is this okay to do in my sex life or mm. i've never had an orgasm or mm. i don't enjoy it or i do it when my husband wants and i don't and you know it's like i'm sitting here and thinking gosh we're in the 21st century and it feels like this is um, you know and how the the the, the sort of or it coming and it's coming from that sort of purity culture kind of back mm-hmm. or they're not just not just chalkbook it's coming from the religious laws that have been put in mm. place and I, you know, and I know with my kids, okay, I grew up as a Catholic, we're, you know, very strict as well. And as I said, I got into the evangelical movement, but all the way through, I always am grateful that I listened to my inner wisdom mm. of, if you love someone, you do what's right for the two of you and it's mm. no one else's business. And that's what I've told my kids. And, you know, we've got a great marriage, my husband and I, we're very open about sex and we're very open about the enjoyment and we've tried to create that in our home. And that's the sort of thing that I would give advice on. But I know there was a season where, there was this, ah, you know, period, a little bit of, because I was influenced by it. And that's one of the changes I'm, thank God I've made, you know, wow. that, that you're saying yeah. as well. But mm-hmm. it's always been an openness. And I've always there tried to tell my kids, do what's good for you, 
what works for mm. you. Don't follow the laws, follow the love, mm. you know, and if it's consensual, all the things you said as well. And that seems to have helped. That's so incredible to me that you had that like inner wisdom and also courage to stand up against the kind of predominant thought within it, the religious community, because I think that's so rare and so hard to do. It is hard to do. And I think I hand a lot of it to the fact that I have an incredible husband and we're very, mm. and we're very open. And that kind of model, because people will always comment how in the churches, how do you have these very open discussions? Mm-hmm. You know, and so that's not, that's something that we can, we have to have the courage, like you've done it. You've got to, you've got to, if you, if you listen to the inner wisdom, and for me, love is like the driving force. And this, mm. this, whatever was going to grow my relationship, nothing should interfere. No one should interfere in that. Mm. And that sexual expression is the most natural expression of that incredibly intense love. And this, that does so much good for the brain and the relationship. You know, when mm. two people are having, that love each other, that are having sex, let's forget about all the rules around marriage and everything. But when two people are in love, you're building each other into each other's brain. And you spoke about in the, in the brain and the body, because we build experience into three places, the brain in those trees and into the waves of our gravitational waves, literally of our mind and into the DNA of our body. So that person is built into you. And you spoke, you said a beautiful thing. We should be preparing our bodies mm. for this beautiful part of expressing love. Right. And it's not done enough. We're not teaching. It's all like behind closed doors and you don't do that. It's all about don't, no. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas we should be teaching, you know, a lot of women have, a lot of women have never had an orgasm that I've spoken right. to. You know, we're talking very directly here. Yeah. But this is, and a lot of it's because their mind is so locked up in this is bad. Sex is not bad. Sex is the most there are phenomenal layers thing. layers and layers of shame and, yes, and guilt that are, that are surrounding this. Yeah. And your mind is 99%. So if you're in shame and mm. guilt and this is a bad thing, you can't do this and you can't do that, how are you going to relax in, the ma- in, you know, in, mm-hmm. in bed? How are you going to relax in that, in that sexual relationship? You should be able to do whatever works for the two of you, but there's all these mm-hmm. little voices at the back of your head and 99% of, 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 of you is mind. So if your mind is shouting and screaming that at you, your body can't function in, mm-hmm. and open up and relax, you know. So it's to be able to help people to understand that the whole mindset behind it, and it starts with with our kids. It starts with mm-hmm. young, and to, to not not such a taboo subject. And I know churches, oh, we're going to talk about sex, but they, then they come with a whole lot of lot of rules. Don't do it before mm-hmm. marriage. It's going to be better after marriage. You're going to have all this. And I know I've said some things that I do cringe at, which I didn't mm-hmm. even really believe. It was in my crazy time, as the kids call it. That my sort of crazy evangelical period where I was suddenly kind of went against my natural wisdom for a period. Right. And, you know, I regret a lot of those things Mm. that I say. So I understand when you say that. I understand what you're saying. How do you fix those kind of things? But it's that openness. You're touching on something that I think is so crucial. And, of course, I'm not in the evangelical church anymore. And so they you know they don't want to listen to me <laughs> which i understand but they will they will t- they will talk about and they will critique from a distance i actually a, a good friend someone i deeply respect a gentleman named tim keller who's a pastor in new york city he was recently tweeting about this issue of the christian sexual ethic and he was talking about the christian sexual ethic which is don't have sex before marriage you know sexuality is supposed to be just within heterosexual marriage And he was trying to create this distinction to say, that's different than purity culture. Purity culture was Josh Harris's book. It was, you know, don't kiss before marriage, don't date, and so on. And I love Tim, and I understand what he's trying to do. But I think the church has a real reckoning that they need to work through to say, wait a second, you know, not having purity culture can't just be, we don't talk about sex at all. You have to kind of actively talk about 
do you believe that sex outside of marriage is is really bad and it's and forbidden? Why? Right. And if it is, you know, then it purity culture actually does make sense. If you you know what I mean? Like it does make sense to to create rules and prohibitions and so on. But I think that the actual Christian sexual ethic of no sex outside of marriage is problematic. In other words, when you have that in place and there's shame, especially towards women, you've lost your virginity, you're you know used up, that kind of thing. Terrible, terrible things. They terrible have to, trauma. That's trauma. They have, it is traumatic, and you have to, you're going to have to actively teach something like you're saying, which is listen. Sex outside of marriage is not such a big deal. Sure, be aware of the implications of any choice that you make. Sexuality is something precious. It's something beautiful. But they're going to have to actively teach things that will be unpopular with certain conservative people. And I think that's the courage that I don't necessarily see within churches, people willing to stand up against that conservative mindset. It's easy to, it's easy to throw purity culture of the, the 90s under the bus, but they actually have to look at what do we actually believe? Are we actually teaching it? Or, or are we teaching something more proactively positive? And I, I'm not sure if that's happening right now. Oh, I, oh, it's not happening. I don't think it's happening at all. Maybe there's the odd isolated situation where it's happening, mm. but I don't think so at all. And as you quite rightly say, you can't just throw purity culture on the bus and say that's, you know, it's like double standards there. You know, it's why don't we just come back to the original thing, which is love? You know, mm. what is love? We, we just don't talk about wishy-washy kind of, love thing, but love is, is, is a driving mm. force. Love means that I listen to you and I respect you. And I'm not talking about, let's put sex and that aside, just the mere fact that we can have a conversation, right. just the mere fact that you can actually talk to your congregation or talk to your kids. That's love. It's, it's mm. all about love. The message should be, is there love? Do you feel peace? Is there love? Mm. Is this the next, is this your decision? And you shouldn't mm. be getting involved. Obviously, you're going to teach your younger kids and you know, these, you said these implications of, of choices that we make, that's our responsibility as adults to mm. teach that to our kids and teach them about safety and that kind of stuff. So, mm-hmm. but it's once again, why aren't we defining everything by love? I thought that was the goal. I thought mm. that is the overarching <laughs> principle of what God is, you know, so that's just, that's just one of the questions I ask. If it's not love-based, if, if, if it works for you that you don't want to have sex before marriage and that's going to increase your love, well then do that, but don't put right. that on someone else. You know, do what works for you in the situation mm-hmm. with your with your partner. I think there's just so much fear that if you give people that kind of freedom to be guided by love, that they won't keep coming back to your, you know, rules and regulations and systems. And I think we have to let go of that. We have to let go of that kind of control. Looking for a high quality CBD oil that actually works? I highly recommend Med, my favorite CBD company and one that I've been using for years. I have always struggled with sleep and nothing seemed to work till I tried Ned's Sleep Blend. This stuff is just amazing and so effective. I take a little before bed each night and I'm asleep before my husband Mac even gets into bed. Plus I wake up feeling rested and not drowsy. I highly recommend signing up for Ned's North Star membership so you can save more on each order. With this membership you will never have to pay full price again for Ned products. And all orders will be shipped to your doorstep every month for free. Plus, save 15% of every order with no annual fee and you can cancel anytime. And when you sign up today, you also get access to a free one-on-one consultation with a holistic wellness coach. If you want to check out Ned and try their CBD for yourself, we have a special offer for the Cleaning Up the Mental Mess audience. Go to www 
hellonet.com forward slash Dr. Leaf or enter Dr. Leaf at checkout for 15% off your first one-time order or 20% off your first subscription order plus free shipping. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D dot com slash Dr. Leaf to get 15% off your first one-time order or 20% off your first subscription order plus free shipping. Thank you, Ned. Link and details will be in the show notes. We all know how important sleep is for optimal mental and brain health. Just think of the last time you had a bad night's sleep. How did you feel the next day? Not great, I'm guessing. Well, I take my sleep very seriously, and part of that means making sure I have the right mattress. My go-to brand of mattress is Birchbox. Why? Let me tell you. Birch makes organic, non-toxic mattresses made right here in America and shipped straight to your door with no contact delivery, free shipping, free returns, and a 100-night sleep trial. And they donate 1% of all sales to the National Forest Foundation, which plants trees in American forests. But most importantly, they are extremely comfortable. I've tested out so many different mattresses, but Birch just wins without a doubt. My sleeping has improved and so has my mood. No more waking up on the wrong side of the bed for me. So if you're looking for a new mattress, check out birchliving.com slash drleaf. They have a 25-year warranty and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll pick it up for you if you don't love it, but I know you will. Birch is giving $200 of all mattresses and two free Echo Rest pillows at birchliving.com slash drleaf. That's $200 off all mattress orders and two free Echo Rest pillows. The link and offer details will be in the show notes. Then we have to ask ourselves, what are we serving? Rules and religions or are we loving God? Are we, are mm-hmm. we actually operating, you know, what, is it, what does it mean to be a human? It comes down to that kind of question. So maybe we're asking the wrong questions. We That's should good. be asking the, the questions of, you know, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to love mm-hmm. as a human? And go from that, those parameters mm-hmm. instead of, these are the rules, now stick. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're out of the tribe, which is so, and it's not, not just in this area, it's in multiple areas that, mm-hmm. that, that you and I could, I could think could discuss for hours. <laughs> but Josh, there's so many questions I want to ask you, but I just want to ask you the, how did you manage your mental health in the face of such backlash that you received? Yeah, you know, I feel like I probably need a lot more support. I did go to therapy during that time, which was really helpful. I'm very grateful for that. I've had some some dear friends who've processed things in conversation with me. Honestly, as I think about it, I feel like exercise and kind of getting in touch with my body in different ways was a really important piece for me during that that really stressful time. So those were those would be a few things I've done. But I also think that I process things with a lot of avoidance, distraction, entertainment, things that I wouldn't necessarily you'd say are healthy, but was just well, trying to cope at times. No, yeah. I think there's nothing wrong with that. You know, mm. you can't be immersed in painful hard work 24-7. That will wreck anyone. And I yeah. always say when people are working on trauma, because you've experienced the trauma, what you've gone through. And I mean, mm. I can relate. There's been certain things that my belief systems, we've had, we've had a lot of people rejecting too. You, mm. you have to have an allocated time that you work on that. And that's how I always say with trauma work, you work mm. 15 to 45 minutes a day. Because you can the, only take so much, exactly, right? Exactly. You can only take so much. And so that's where those temporary distractions are sometimes so important. Because mm. if you're trying to process something in the moment, I mean, also do the exercise and whatever. It's, it's great. to That's just mm. being human. We don't have mm-hmm. to be deep and dark all the time. It's just being, <laughs> it's having the conversations and having the time to balance Oh, that's it. so good. That's so yeah. helpful. I think that's really important. 
Is there, Josh, there's so many more things. What, what, what advice would you give to someone who's afraid to take that step and change, especially when that change comes at great cost? What advice would you give them? I know we've mm. sort of touched on this, but I'd love to do that as a sort of a wrap-up question. Well, I think, I think it's so important to recognize that there is a pain in changing, but there can be an even greater pain in trying to stay in the same place. And that's something that I think we don't, don't often recognize. I think that there can be a, a freedom that comes with growth and change is a part of life. You know, I think that, I mean, going back to, to my roots in the Christian faith, you know, Jesus talked about a seed has to die before new life can grow up. And I think we often are so aware of that death process and we're terrified of it. Like, I, I want to stay a seed. This is safe. I know what it's like to be a seed. And death is scary. Death is the loss of identity. Death is the loss of relationships or just like things that are familiar to us. But it's that hope of new life, new relationships, new freedom on the other side that can t- help us to take one step at a time. And my encouragement to people would just be, go easy on yourself. Don't rush. Don't compare yourself to my story or anyone else's story, but just take that next step. And as you have you know, helped me to see so clearly, be guided by love. And that love should start with a love for yourself. What do, what do I need right now? What feels safe to me? What's, you know, what's the, the next step of, of change and transformation? I don't have to be on anybody else's timetable. It should be, it should be guided by my own curiosity and joy and, and hopefulness. And I, I just would encourage people, there is, there is life on the other side. Oh, I love that. I love what you said then. I just, I have to ask one more question because now I keep, I know I've got like 21 more questions, but I promise <laughs> this will be the last one. I love it. Just talking along that with change, because change is so hard. Now you have the discussion today is primarily around how we have gone from how you've gone from purity culture to completely mm. looking at and, and analyzing your whole view of Christianity differently and mm-hmm. specifically purity culture. What do you think? And just from your experience connecting with people that have reached out to you and mm-hmm. the discussions you've had, the, what do you think the impact of purity culture in general, or just being very restricted, this purity mm. culture rules, religion around sex has had on people's mental health? We spoke a little bit about sort of the physical mm. side a few moments ago, but what is your right. appealing of the sort of mental health side? What have you seen and experienced or heard stories, et cetera, et cetera? So the mental health impact. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't have the kind of training and expertise that, that you do in these areas. So I don't even know how to ex- describe it exactly, except that I would say I see people who are so cut off from their bodies this ability to experience things, enjoy things. So a lot of fear related to sexuality, not being able to experience pleasure in different ways, ongoing feelings of guilt and shame, even though they've changed in ways that they think about sex and and maybe even religion, they still have those patterns of feeling guilt. And so, you know, a lot of people, and I, I, put myself in this category. There's some ways where I can feel almost very adolescent as I'm, I'm starting over, I'm getting into you know relationships and dating myself and those types of things. I feel like I'm making these mistakes or learning things that I, I should have learned when I was like, you know, 18 or something. <laughs> but, but even that is being able to recognize that there's a growth and there's a learning process. And, you know, so in terms of the mental health, I think I, 
I, I can see ways in which there's an anxiety and, and a lot of fear around these topics. But then I also see on the other side, just a new, a new sense of joy, a new enjoyment of just life in general. It's almost like, you know, you're, you're seeing the world free. in color. You're, yeah, you're set free to appreciate people and to engage with people. And I, I think for me, there were so often times where I'd interact with someone and it's like I had to hold them at a distance because I was afraid, well, if, if their ideas affect me, I might, you know, slide down the slippery slope instead of being able to appreciate them and say... The differences, yeah. Yeah, like, oh, they think differently than me, but I can learn from that or I can benefit from that or, you know, I can, I can appreciate the diversity of the world Instead, it was, I have, to, I have to keep them distant. I have to figure out some way to pull them over to my way of thinking. And I think that is a strain on people's mental health because it just doesn't, it doesn't line up with, I think, how we're, we're made to, to operate. Oh, I love you. I answered that so well. That was just beautiful. Such a, such a great explanation. And it's so true. If you have to hold people, it doesn't because you're scared they're going to influence you. That's definitely mm. not love. And that means you don't really believe what you believe anyway. Mm, you know, mm. you have to make everyone like you, you know, that, that you said, appreciating diversity. That's what it's all about. That everything, mm. we live in a diverse world and, and love is appreciating that. So, Josh, that was amazing. I love that answer. So, thank you so much. Well, how can people find out more about you and connect with you if they want to? And we'll put yeah. that in the, the links in the show Oh, notes. thank you. You know, I spend a lot of time talking and engaging on Instagram. So, my Instagram handle is at Harris Josh. And then I have a website, joshharris.com, where they can kind of learn more about the things that I'm doing. Wonderful. That's fantastic. Well, we'll put those links in the show notes. And thank you so much. I've so enjoyed our conversation today. It's oh, been amazing. So, so beneficial to me. Thank you so much. Oh, me too. Thank you. And I'd love to chat to you again sometime. And it's just been wonderful connecting with you. So thank you for joining me. Uh, let's please stay in touch. Thank you. Let's do that. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you again next week. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then... I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.